Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode number 103 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And my name is Barbara. What's happening, Barb? How are you? I am good, thanks. It's about 80, I don't know, 4, sunny. I've been laying out in my backyard all day just getting some sun and just chilling. Yeah, we had over an inch of snow today, so I kind of hate you. Hmm. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's par for the course. Yep, yep, nothing different there. (laughs) Pretty crazy stuff going on in the world, though. Big announcement, Lab Day West canceled. That's pretty nuts. I know, I can't believe it. But I think it's probably going to happen even more and more, but it's probably the right thing to do, at least until the panic and everything just chills out a little bit. I think you're going to see more and more of that, obviously. While I love dental laboratory meetings, it's it's just not worth it right now. Yeah, my son just got word uh, yesterday that their school is closing for the next two weeks, and uh, he called me, I love this, Mom! I don't have to go to school! Um, we had a meeting, you know, with our business and all of our sister laboratories on what happens if, you know, somebody in the lab gets sick and, you know, what's the um, contingency plan. And mm-hmm. it's just, uh, it's definitely real. Even if you think the fear and hype is bigger than what it actually is, this is happening. It's real. It's going to be interesting how this whole yeah. thing plays out. It's going to be nuts. <laughs> Today, we have a treat for everybody. We had the honor of talking to one of the featured speakers at the upcoming DLAT meeting, as of now, that is still happening in less than two weeks in Grapevine, Texas. Ricky Braswell has been a part of this industry for a long time. Not as a technician, not as a lab owner, not even as a vendor. Her role has a unique one. Ricky came into this industry as an executive director of the NADL, where she learned to love and appreciate our industry. Then she took that passion and was the CEO for the Panky Institute. Now she's on her own, sharing her knowledge and experiences with dental practices and dental laboratories to help them train leaders and their teams. She offers up some really good advice for everybody in our industry. So join us as we talk to Ricky Braswell. Hey, Barb. I had a mill go down last week. Oh, no. Yeah, it took three days to get it repaired and up and running again. It was a huge pain in the ass, and I had everybody working on overtime to make up for it. So why didn't you just outsource it until the mill got repaired? Because if I outsourced them, wouldn't it have taken weeks for them to come back? And with this latest virus scare, who knows if I'd get it back at all? Not all outsourcing is done outside the U.S., Elvis. What? You should have sent your crowns to Alien Milling Technology. They mill all their products right here in the United States. They could have done your zirconia and had them back to you by the second day. Rumor on the street has it that if you send them a crown on a certain day, they will even do it for free. Wait, wait a minute. What? For free? Why? What what day? Well, I don't know. Head over to alienmilling.com to find out which day to send them your crowns and to see all of the other things that they can help you mill by being a great partner to your lab. Yeah, I'm checking them out right now. Wow, abutments, night guards, partials, surgical guides, even bars? Whoa! Amazing, I know. At alienmilling.com, you can find almost everything you need to take your lab to the next level. You can even take advantage of their buy four pucks, get one free deal that ends at the end of March. That's pretty nice. That's probably a $150 deal right there. I tell you, this place just keeps getting better and better. Thanks, Alien Milling. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. We'd like to welcome to the podcast, Ricky Braswell, C-A-E. How are you? I am excellent. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Barb, you're with us too. How are you? Yes, I am. Welcome, Ricky. We're super excited to have you. Very excited to be with you guys. So I'd like to start off by asking, what is CAE? I've seen it after a lot of people's names. What is that? 
only the coolest people that you've seen it after. <laughs> um, it means certified association executive, and you have seen it after the name of Bennett Napier, who is your yeah. executive director for the NADL. You have also seen it after Rachel Vuelma, who is also a leader mm-hmm. with NADL and NBC. And so they have that same cool certification that I do. How long is that certification to get? Is it like a two-year program or? It is like forever. Um, no, is it? it is. <laughs> so there's a lot of prerequisites for it. There's either a, uh, I, it's been a long time since I've had it and I'm not willing to tell you how long because it will date me. But it's, um, <laughs> and I don't need that kind of thing. There's like five years that you have to wait or 10 years, depending on your experience. But it's it basically the designation says that you are a professional not-for-profit executive and you've gone through a rigorous study and examination process, which is why I loved the the CDT program so much because it's it's the same sort of credentialing. It's a national credentialing examination, goes through laws for nonprofits and best practices and all the things that professional nonprofit executives need to know in order to keep their organizations running well and out of any murky waters. Yeah, I bet you there's a lot going on behind the scenes that most people don't know about. Probably. Probably. So, so Ricky, I met you a while back and I know that you were with the NADL and you were with Bennett's group and then you went to Panky. And um, how was that experience for you? Was that amazing or what? It was amazing. I love Panky. I loved everything about their philosophy. And I have to tell you, I feel really blessed because I think I'm one of the very few people that has both experience on the laboratory side and then experience on the clinical side with Panky. And I was so pleased, grateful to have had the 10 years that I spent um with the National Association of Dental Laboratories and the National Board for Certification and the the Foundation for Dental Laboratory Technology, I was so gifted with that experience that when I got to Panky, it made me such a better exec for that organization. I didn't change out any of my love for laboratory technicians or any of the, I still I still have so much respect for the work that dental technicians do, and I, I've really tried to continue to be a good advocate and, and an educator for dentists so that they understand the type of skill and knowledge and, and judgment and expertise that a dental technician brings to that, you know, that partnership. But when I got there, it was an amazing experience to have under my belt, and it made me such a better exec for Panky because I had that knowledge already, and I knew the challenges that laboratories were facing, but I was a bit ignorant. I was a lot ignorant about <laughs> the clinical side, Yeah, and I, I had a whole bunch of bias and assumptions most of which proved to be completely untrue. Assumptions you got while with the NADL about clinicians? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, we won't say anything negative about them on the podcast. No, of course <laughs> actually, not. <laughs> actually, I have to say, it was that. It's that I had all these assumptions from yeah. the liaison to the ADA and and just all of these assumptions that I had. And once I got to Panky, completely recognizing the disclaimer is that Panky is does help serve the upper echelon of dentistry, the, the very best of the best, but they don't... Yeah. They don't you know, they're not birthed that way. They come in and they're curious and they're taking education like everybody else. But I have a little saying, I have a bunch of them, but one of them is I try not to confuse ignorance with malice. So mm. I I just thought being on the laboratory side, gosh, dentists just don't care. I mean, so many dentists just don't care. And that may be true. And I'm definitely not an expert in all of dentistry, so I can't say sure. whether it is or not. But I will tell you that there is more ignorance about what a dental laboratory technician does and and the workings of a dental laboratory, then there is malice. More doctors Mm -hmm. want something, they just don't know what it is. And so it was a wonderful gift when I recognized that I had the opportunity to just educate them how to pick a lab, what questions to ask, that they're not material science experts and dental technicians well-trained dental technicians are material science experts. So it, it was just a big eye-opener for me. And it took me about a year to get that under my belt. Yeah. And I know the whole time that you were super positive about dental technicians and dental laboratories because you and I are Facebook friends. And I just, I definitely see that you did do that. You were an advocate for both parties. 
And um, thank you for that. It was amazing. It's such my pleasure. I can't not be. And I told every new group of doctors that came in to Panky when I introduced our team the very first day. And when I introduced myself, I told them, I said, I'm going to disclose some bias. And the one bias that I have is your dental technician is the most gifted specialist you're ever going to partner with. So if you don't take away anything else, take away, find yourself a good partnership. And if you don't go back, be vulnerable to your dental lab and your technician, tell them that you want to be a better doctor, ask them for some tips. And if they don't meet you there, then call me and I'll find you a better lab. Awesome. Thank you. It was was such a pleasure for me. Really, it was. So what exactly, I mean, I've heard of Panky. I know of it as the course the dentists take where they make us use face bows and articulators. That's all I know of of Panky. What exactly is it? Is it like a couple weeks course or how is it structured? It's the place that you go that makes you use face bows and articulators. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Panky, disclaimer, I don't work there anymore. I don't get paid by them. I just still have my, my beautiful passion for them. Sure. And whether it's Panky or a Coist or a Spear or, you know, wherever it is, I'm a huge advocate for continuous improvement. And I'm a big advocate for this on the clinical side because I think it makes a better partnership for the laboratory side. Oh, a, sure. a well-educated yeah. te- sure. dentist is, is like the dream client, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what Panky is, is they are a not-for-profit educational foundation. They're the only one that's a not-for-profit. All the other ones that I named are all actually Spear and Dawson are both owned by venture capitalist companies. And then Kois, Dr. Kois still owns his, I believe, independently. Oh, yeah. But the point is, is that they're all, they're all structured to deliver a higher level curriculum postgraduate. And so Panky is not a course. It is a, it is actually a, a fully fledged curriculum. I don't know if anybody else has that. I, I they all have courses, but sure. I think Panky's is probably more like a, a step curriculum. So there's a core group of courses that are called the essentials. It's one through four. And if I could just break it down to a nutshell, I would tell you that the concept around essentials one through four is the level of knowledge and skill that a doctor needs to have in order to diagnose and then treat with a gradual increasing degree of risk. I get it. Yeah. Right. So, so the first thing that we want to help the doctor do is to be able to take appropriate diagnostic records to determine the level of risk that this patient has. So are they low level risk? It's a single Mm -hmm. crown. There doesn't seem to be any occlusal disease. Patient's not in any pain. Boom. You know, that's a single unit restorative, you know, no big deal. Versus we continue to go up and the patient has some discomfort. It's muscle, it's joint deterioration. It's wear on the anterior. It's wear on the posterior. It's wear on just one side. This, this increasing level of risk. And then and we teach the doctor how to take the diagnostic records, a full comprehensive examination, and all of those things actually support a beautiful relationship with what we call the interdisciplinary team, which for Panky, when I got there, we started to, I, I made them because I was in charge, but yeah. um, <laughs> that, that a tech, you know. I could do it, but um, well that, a technician, that a technician was a specialist for us. Oh, good. Um, yeah. And part of the interdisciplinary specialist team, you know, full photographs, full diagnostics. I mean, there's, there's some misconceptions. People think like, would you mount a single unit, uh, do a you know, full set of models, full arch impressions for a single unit, and then mount that on an articulator? The question is, it depends. With the face you know, photo. Sure. It depends. It depends. Well, here's the thing. A single anterior on a healthy person, no other wear, you know, nothing like that. Maybe it's the person's in their 50s or 60s. They don't have any other restorative work. You know, maybe not. But you're 35. You have significant wear on your anterior teeth. You were fine six months ago. Now you have a complete mesial distal distal crack on a molar. Eh, Maybe. You know, it depends. Right? And as a technician, Mm -hmm. wouldn't you want to see that? Wouldn't you be wondering, like, what's going on here? So it depends is the answer. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I love that answer. It's true. 
I agree. Didn't you go through the program, Barb? Um, no, but I've been there several times. Um, I definitely follow them. And um, I've been Dawson, Coyce, mm-hmm. but I have not been to Panky. But I did visit Ricky, newly on, and it was amazing. Yeah. Are there technicians that go through the, the Panky courses? Yes, there are. So one of the things that I did at Panky that I do not think that they've retracted, I believe that it's, it's still there. So a couple things that I think that is nice about Panky that's technician friendly. And I'm going to say this, I've talked about Panky, but the truth is, is I've been to the other places when I was with NADL. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any bias. Like I said before, it doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is from a doctor standpoint, that these places all strongly promote a higher level of education for a doctor, which I think improves the the skills for that clinician, which benefits the patients, and I think benefits the partnership with the dental laboratory. The flip side is, is that years ago, and now I've been in dentistry for almost 20 years or right around 20 years, there were barriers for technicians to get into some places. You know, there mm-hmm. were courses that were, quote, off limits. And I, I'm speaking to the crier. You guys both know this. Yeah. And, you know, technicians had to be invited and all this other, I'm not allowed to say mm-hmm. bad words, but, you know. Yes, you can. <laughs> you are. Bad words. Um, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't want to be bleeped because then people think I use the <laughs> F word and I <laughs> I save that for wine, but I um, never use the F word. <laughs> never, never, never. never. Uh, it's fun. That's my F word. So, um, <laughs> so I have a bit of an issue with any place that gives education that creates a barrier, especially for a dental technician, especially yeah. for that. But there's a difference between a barrier, meaning you have to be invited or whatever crap that is, and a warm welcome. So when I got to Panky, I wanted to make sure a place that talked about comprehensive care and restorative care had a warm welcome for technicians. So one of the things with Panky is a technician can can attend any course at Panky, any course. Mm-hmm. And there's no prerequisite or anything like that. You guys know most more than most doctors that I've known. And there's a flat fee. So the flat fee for the course is $990. No matter, and everybody should check and make sure they still do that, but I'm pretty sure they do. Mm -hmm. So if it's a $5,000 sleep course for a doctor, it's $990 for a technician. Nice. And aesthetic courses, $990. There's a beautiful aesthetic course. And a lot of technicians do go through the aesthetic course. When I say a lot, I don't mean like 15 technicians at one time, but I believe Dina Lanier has been active with NADL. Dina and Mm -hmm. Dennis Lanier went to the aesthetics course. Matt Roberts is on the faculty for that course. And I think they did the sleep course as well, but it doesn't matter. And so, if, and if a technician wants to go through the essentials courses, and if a technician brings two doctors, the technician goes for free. Serious? Wow. wow. That's a pretty cool deal. When I tell you that I love hmm. dental technicians, I am not kidding. <laughs> not kidding. Also, Panky yeah. is one of the few places that there's technicians that sit on the board of directors. Philip Gold sat on the board of oh, directors. Yeah. For NBC, obviously, but um, not not on the board of directors. He was an examiner for NBC. He served on the board of directors for Panky. So did John Levitka. They're both CDTs. John, I believe, oh, still yeah. may serve on the board. Dental Ceramics, his lab is in, in uh, Ohio. So that was another thing for me. Dental technicians on the board of directors at Panky. Yeah, for sure. Man, you did us some good over there. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. Well, I don't know how much it got out there. I was a little busy the eight years I was there, like trying to get the house in order, but I sincerely, sincerely believe in the gifts that dental technicians have. And it, I mean, it's a small thing. It was a small, just a small thing. And it was, it's good for doctors. I oh, did absolutely. it because it's good for both parties. Yeah. It's a yeah. win-win all around. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are you doing now? So you were there eight years. Wow. Time flies. I can't believe it. So where has that brought you now? So I know you're um, the keynote speaker for the DLAT. So you can talk about that a bit later. But so like, what's your passion now? Obviously, it's us and everything we do. But what's going on in your world? So when I was leaving Panky last year, so I've been gone just a hair over a year now, I had some time to think about before transitioning away. I had some time to think about what I might want to do. I have spent my life, my career in nonprofit management And on more than one occasion, I became the exec of an organization that maybe financially wasn't doing so well. And so coming in and kind of turning around an organization like that and looking at what best business practices are, what the pricing model is, how to build a team, how to strengthen 
managers or leaders within the team, and then creating systems that support that type of thing. And, and really working on leadership, whether it was a board leader or myself or team members that I worked with, but really looking on developing leadership skills. So after doing that for a couple of different organizations now and spending the bulk of my career with that, I really thought long and hard about taking a job as an exec for another organization, which seemed like it could be great. Mm -hmm. Or could I go into coaching and step into a world where I could help multiple businesses at the same time? I, I particularly have a love as now you already know this, for dental laboratories. I have a love for dental practices. I love coaching in both of those arenas. So I love mm -hmm. working with dental practices and, and dentists to help them take a good practice and get it to a great level. And I feel I would love to do the same thing for, I do not work currently with any dental laboratories, but I would love to do the same thing on the laboratory side is help people with some you know management or leadership training in those areas and take a good laboratory and and move it to a great level. And so that's what I've been doing for the past year is working with entrepreneurs. I don't work with anybody I, I with that doesn't own their own business. I mostly work with people who either are entrepreneurial businesses, whether they're a manager within that business or the direct owner of the business. And um, it's been fun. I've worked with a couple of different practice transitions, multi-generational on, wow. on the clinical side or a doctor that's really been very successful that's looking to sell their practice. I don't broker, but I help the actual owner get really clear about what they want in the transition and then walk them through that transitional role and help the team get prepared for that as well. So it's, it's been pretty fun. Yeah, I bet. Sounds like yeah. a super emotional thing probably for them. So if you come in and help them walk through that, that's probably almost like a counselor or a partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, coaching is is a bit of a partnership. Yeah. There's a how they're going to be side of it. Like like I get to, you know, I get to partner with them. I get to hold their hand through it. But there's also a very there's an emotional side of it and then there's a business logistics side of it. Mm -hmm. And I think people think that they can either get one or the other of that and in coaching I can help work through both of those things. Yeah, there's got to be awesome. a balance you got to find between the two, I imagine. Yeah. It's hard to keep emotions out of business, especially when you're dealing yeah, with family is. or whatnot. Yep. I know for I know for Barb's, and I, um, I'm not sure with yours as much, but but even when we go through and we're coming kind of what I think of as like up through the ranks, when our career is changing and we go from one phase of our career to the next, like maybe it's from you know being a technician and you're in the department, then you run the department, then you, you know, run multiple departments, the resources, the internal resources that you have to develop, and then you have to call upon to be able to make those transitions. Those aren't super easy to tap into. It's not, it's not intuitive. We have to actually learn to flex that muscle and build that muscle. And so that's part of what I do with coaching is to help somebody tap into what are you naturally good at? What are some of your blind spots? Oh, are I any of those that. blind? Yeah, right. Are any of those blind spots standing in your way? Because if they're not, who cares? And if <laughs> they are, you know, let's work on them. And it really helps. So think about like if you have a personal trainer. In some ways, there's all kinds of ways in our life that we reach out and somebody helps coach us through something. And somebody said to me recently about, well, did this person solve the problem? And I said, I don't coach the problem. I coach the person. Hmm. And so if I am coaching with a leader, it's them and potentially their team members, but it's really about that person and how do we develop their strengths to help move them forward, especially because I've always worked with people who already have good businesses. So they already got there. And now it's, it's just, it's when we get stuck, like how do we get it from this level to the next level? Getting from, from not great to okay is not that hard. Getting from good to a great level is much harder. So how do you coach somebody to figure out what their blind spot is when it's a blind spot? So like if it's a blind spot, it's like something you're not super aware of. How do you mm -hmm. tap into that? Like I'm, I'm really curious from a personal perspective. Sure. How do you help them figure that out? It's a bit of a process of exploration, but we might, we might start and it depends on the person and it depends on what their goal is. But for example, if let's, I'm just going to make up something, if we were talking about, um, 
Oh goodness, I'm trying to think. If we were, I can't even think of a scenario off the top of my head. But but if we were talking about you, you know having a goal around something, we might explore like, all right, so where do you want to get to? I want to get to here. So do you have any awareness of what's standing in the way now? So people will say things like, well, you know, I just don't seem to have the time for this. Okay, you know, great. That's a big answer, right? Time and money yeah. are two big big answers that we usually give. Yeah. So we say, okay, so so what's taking up your time now? Well, these things, or people will tell me often, I feel overwhelmed. <laughs> so tell me what's going into feeling overwhelmed. In fact, I, I do actually a program called Being Overwhelmed. <laughs> but it, so when we talk about being overwhelmed, part of being overwhelmed is people feel like there's too many decisions that are happening. I'm, I'm being bombarded every day. So in a leadership position in a lab, I can barely get through because I have a production role. Plus I have all these people coming to me and asking me all these stupid questions all day long. I'm so overwhelmed. How could I possibly find the time to develop something for my business to get my business to the next level? That's well okay. said. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right? Get it? What are you? So we, are you following me around all day? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's me. Okay. Yeah. And as unique as you both are, uh, your challenges are not necessarily unique. The the circumstances around them may or may not be unique. So so we would start by maybe dissecting that and and backing up and saying, all right, here's some things that we could look at. So for one. Are you really clear about what's important to you? Do you really need or want to get your business to another level? Or do you feel that there's an external pressure that you're supposed to be performing up to that? This seems small, but this is huge, yeah. huge, because there's a question about how much is enough. You may be in your sweet spot, but other people, peers, family, competition, other people, <laughs> Yes. Maybe saying you have to buy that big scanner. You have to go all digital. You and you might be thinking, well, and I just did this with a with a doctor's practice. I just worked with a with a, a practice for the last year who felt a ton of pressure to go to a full digital suite. Guess yeah. what? She didn't do it. She she made a couple of really smart purchases, but she didn't make the other ones because when we looked at it, she would have been in the spot of diminishing return. Nice. But, but we were able to go through that. So, Barb, to answer your question, part of how we determine what your blind spots are is we start to dissect what's standing in the way. Hmm. And once we start to dissect what's standing in the way, it's kind of, it's difficult to explain, but all of a sudden it, it appears. It's like, okay, well, well, what's between this thing that, that is your as-is right now and this thing? And there is actually even a process of being overwhelmed, and it, it has to do with your your decision-making process and where you get stuck in your own decision-making process. I love that answer. So that's really why we have coaches that they can help us find the answers. Uh, I was thinking about my blind spots. There was somebody at the vision 21 meeting um, and she was talking about blind spots and I now have a group and we talk about it, but it's like, how do you get there? Cause if it's a blind spot, you don't necessarily quantify what it looks like or it wouldn't be a blind spot. So thank mm-hmm. you. That's awesome. Yeah. Again, the, some of the stuff that I really like with coaching is there's a whole bunch of ways to apply coaching. And I really, really like that because I don't like anybody telling me what to do. So I don't like <laughs> to be put into one little spot. You're not an already <laughs> no. knows this about me. I don't like people to tell me what to do. So I don't tell my clients what to do. Uh, awesome. I, but what I do is help my clients determine what feels right for them and best for them and the way that they're, they're going to skin the cat that's going to get them to where they want to go. So one of the things that I've been doing with coaching is developing small groups. So one application for coaching for me is what I call executive coaching, where I go in and I just work with the the owner, the leader, whatever it is. Another is the executive and the team. I will not coach a team. I don't care. I will not coach a team if I don't coach the executive as well. I just will not yeah. do it. It always starts at the top. So yeah. it's where I will do the the organization, you know, the owner of the organization and the lead managers. There's That's the second way. And then another way is some things that I've been doing, which is creating, I like to call them tribes. I went to Florida State. I love everything about a tribe. But I also I also think it's like the new squad, right? I was a cheerleader. I'm not going to lie. And, yep. and I liked my squad. So I think of it as like the new squad. You know, I grew up, so I don't have a squad anymore. I have a tribe. <laughs> also, I like the thought that, that my tribe like has arrows if I need them. Um, okay. You know, they got my back. They will fight for me. So I've created these tribes 
where we do this, Barb, we look into these, we sort of dig a little bit deeper and each month there's a topic and we do spend some time on what's our decision-making process and how does that support us? How does that impact how I make decisions? Where do my blind spots show up? It is a blind spot shows up in different things. So if you're in your car, there might be a blind spot in your car, but there Mm -hmm. may be a blind spot in your bathroom mirror. There may be a blind spot. Mm -hmm. It's not a universal one thing. It's situational sometimes. There may be a blind spot in your relationship with your children that is very different than your blind spot in your relationship with your best friend or at work. Yep. Interesting. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So it's pretty popular in our industry when we make managers, we promote technicians and they're not, I know. Yeah, and they're not <laughs> always the best at management and it's not anything wrong. It's just a lack of experience. I think, is that something you work with? Uh, yeah. So thank you very much for continuing to do that and providing me with an opportunity to have a career. <laughs> Um, I love that so, so much. So you're not, it's not unique to just technicians. It is pandemic amongst the way we actually work in the United States. We take somebody who's very good at a thing and we decide to make them in charge of all the people who are not very good at it. And we forget that the skills that are required to be very good at, at making a crown are not even in the same book as the skills that are required to lead other people. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I remember my dad saying this years ago. I I don't even remember who it was, but I wish I did. But I I remember there being some really good athlete, and, and maybe he had retired and he had transitioned to coaching. And I wish I remember who this was, but I don't. And my dad was a huge sports advocate, big sports fan. My dad said, oh, this guy's not a good coach. And I said, wasn't he a great athlete? My dad said, yeah, which is probably what's making him a terrible coach. And I said, why? And my dad said, because when you know how to throw the ball as well as he did, he can't understand how come the other person can't figure it out just by him standing there throwing the ball. He said, that guy can throw the ball 500 times. The other guy, God didn't give him the arm. And so he could throw the ball 500 times. That other guy's not going to get better. Yeah, And I was like, so how does he make him better? He goes, he needs to figure out how the other guy throws the ball and what works for him and what his strength is and what his weakness is. You can't just yell at the guy. And it's not just showing him. It's not just showing him. It's not like 10 times. So example is you can take a technician that's really super great at making a crown. He could sit down and make the crown 400 times in front of another technician. But if that other technician doesn't understand the steps he's going through, I could speak Spanish in front of you every single solitary day. But if I don't translate it to English, it's not relatable. It just isn't going to work for you. Interesting. So you're you're not going to be able to connect the dots there. But, and I made that simple, but the truth is, is that there are a different set of skills, which I do believe some people can learn, but for sure, that go into managing. And one of the faults is not that we just keep promoting our greatest technicians into managers, frustrating the hell out of them and making them want to leave. It's not just that. It's that we as the leader, the owner, the manager, we haven't thought through what we actually need and expect that person to perform. And so I'm really good at helping people walk through those kinds of things. So the number one reason that relationships fail is a difference in expectations. You can point to your marriage. You can point to your friendships. You can point to a manager, a technician. I expected you to produce 10 crowns a day. The technician's like, why? I'm rocking it with six. And you're like, six may seem great to you, but 10 is what I need. So four crowns difference is not making me happy. Yeah. I was going to say the difference was money, but uh, you're right. It's the same (laughs) thing. Expectations. What's your expectation of money? Yeah, it all boils down to it. That's interesting. Every single thing comes down to expectations. If you expect that you'll have a relationship where there's a lot of verbal dialogue and somebody else expects that there's a relationship that's a lot of physical contact and one person talks a lot, but doesn't touch a lot. And the other person touches a lot and not talks about that relationship will not make it. Huh. Interesting. Wow. Again, are you following me around? What's going on? Here? I know. I'm like, oh, that's, that's super amazing. So how do you teach somebody to be good 
at something that they're not good at? Do they just practice, practice, practice? I mean, um, psychologically. I just, what if for an hour I say it depends? Um, no, yeah. <laughs> so it does. So I think the first thing is, is that if I were to back up, so let's say, Barb, I was working with you, your lab, you're the leader, and you say, I'm just really unhappy, Ricky, with the, with the performance of my managers. Mm-hmm. Not really true. Disclaimer, Barb never told me that. She loves all her managers. But let's <laughs> just say you said that. Yeah. Uh, I would say, okay, so, so first of all, let's get really clear, Barb. I always think of it as an as is. What's your as is, and then what's your expectations, and then what's the gap between them? So mm-hmm. the first thing is, is do we know that they're not good at it, or, or is there a gap in what you expect and what you have actually communicated that you expect? Mm-hmm. That's the number one gap usually is the person says, gosh, you know, I just really want this person to do these things. And I'm like, great. So is it in their job description? Well, no, we don't have job descriptions. Okay. So have you voiced this? Well, I mean, we talk about, you know, people hint a lot. We talk about that and they, and they really haven't been clear. So the number one thing is, are you clear about it? Number two, have you communicated with it? So let's just say the person Oh, I mean, give me an example of something that somebody's just not that good at that you would like them to try. So I have a manager that's got somebody that's not producing that their numbers that they're supposed to be producing, but instead of talking to them, they just complain about it and they say they're failing and, you know, they need to add another person. Okay. Productivity is probably our number one issue. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you the number one thing that I would say with this is free. You can take it. Um, the number one thing is we don't communicate very effectively when we do think we're communicating. And when we think we're going to remediate somebody or take them from one level or another, the way that we are normally taught to do it is to tell them something. Mm -hmm. And I have whole funny stories about how I learned this because I did this opposite for years and (laughs) it was not effective. Um, but I thought it was because I was good at everything. So everything that I help other people with, I have learned out of my own failure. Telling is not the way I would normally approach things. The way I would approach something, whether it be a manager that worked for me that I wasn't thinking was performing up to my expectations, or it was a team member that I don't think that they were managing their expectations well. Instead of going, I used to think the number one issue was I wasn't clear. I needed to clarify. So I would tell them slower. (laughs) with shorter words <laughs> yeah, and more things in writing. Remember, write it down. So I would do that thing. Those things are important, but that's not where I'm getting to. Mm. Instead, I switched patterns and I started asking. So for example, Barb, if you and I talked and you had a production deadline and you had a production amount, 10 crowns, I just keep using it, it's a nice round number, 10 crowns yeah. by the end of the day, uh, 50 crowns by the end of the week. And you came up at the end of this week and there wasn't 50 crowns. I might check in with you, be like, hey, Barb, what's going on with you this week? You'd be like, nothing, I'm good. And say, um, I noticed 46 crowns. You'd be like, yep, killed it. <laughs> so I, I might be like, hmm, let's talk about that on Monday. But when I sat down with you, I wouldn't say, remember 50, 10 a day, blah, blah, blah. I would say, so I just want to make sure, did we talk about 10 crowns a day? Yes. Did we talk about 50 at the end of the week? Yes. So last week you did 46 tell me, where's that coming from? So asking the questions first, let the other person tell you. There may be information you don't have. I the, love that. So okay. it, rather than telling the technician, they are, they don't not have enough skill. Yeah. They're not, because yeah. the question really is, is why aren't they? Because the worst thing that you could do is replace that technician with another technician who also doesn't perform. Because now Mm -hmm. we all know how fun that is to replace a technician and that there's a billion of them just out there so skilled, just standing in line, (laughs) knocking down our door, right? So you already made a significant investment. What's the harm in just spending 45 minutes truly with curiosity and saying, help me help you. I really want to figure out what's standing in your way so I can get rid of those things and help you meet that 50 a week. And that's some of the training that I bring when I work with coaches with teams and when I work with an organization and I work with the leader and then when I work with the managers and the team members. So I love that word curiosity. That was actually my last um, president's message is being curious and continuing to stay curious mm-hmm. um, about what, what's going on. You know, what are your people doing and how are they behaving and really asking yourself, am I doing well? Am I not doing well? What are my blind spots? Those are all tag words. I love them. They were like right on in my head somehow. 
Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's all some great stuff. Yeah. You're speaking at the DLAT meeting, and if we get this out quick enough in the next couple of weeks, what are you talking about? This exact kind of thing? or I'm talking about several of these kinds of things. I'm very, very flattered. I am going to be, um, I'm speaking right after the keynote speaker. I am the featured speaker, I believe. That's the term, which makes me feel really special. I'm like, I feel like a little bit like homecoming queen. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. And, or maybe that's just what I've decided I want to feel like. We'll be there. (laughs) Do you want me to sing that song? Here she comes. I do. Is that the song? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) If you know anything about Elvis, you know he's probably wrong. (laughs) Sorry. If he sings, I don't care. Um, So my topic is create your success in 2020 and beyond. I do believe that we can empower ourselves and we can actually create our own success. and, And I do believe we have to be intentional about it. And I think that if you give up on that thought, you're you're just going to kind of tumble blindly into whatever the future throws at you. So some of the topics that we will that will go under that are exploring some barriers to achieving uh, your own goals. I will talk about the decision making process and how it impacts our success and some of those frameworks for the way we work. So, Barb, when you asked the question about blind spots, part of the blind spot is. Do we know what our own frameworks are for what supports us? And I don't mean to be really like buzzwordy, but the framework I mean is, so what are the soft sides or hard sides to how we make a decision? What are, where do we get stuck in that? And there's a long conversation about ambiguity and, um, and, a, and a quick ambiguity test that I like to do with people to help them figure out what do I need to do to make sure that I'm moving forward in a process rather than getting stuck in it. And I want to do some fun things. Hopefully I might be able to do some fun things with the audience to help people get started to outline some thoughts about how they can design their own success this year, rather than having next year, looking back, I don't want anybody to look back in 2020 and say, yep, I'm still in the same spot. Cause guess what? We won't be, we will not be in the same spot. This industry this world is moving way too fast. And I feel like you can either be catching all the balls that are coming at you, you can be hit with them, or you can decide you're going to put yourself in the pitcher position and that you're targeting something and you're moving in that direction. I love sports analogies. Yeah. Well, you know, you you grew up with a dad with, you know, ball, couldn't help it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did. And I, completely agree. That's like totally my headspace right now. I cannot wait. So hopefully Elvis will um, suspend the podcast so that we can go in and listen to you. So I'm super stoked about it. I'm so happy oh, for you. Fun. Yeah. The quote, I think I just put this quote out a couple of days ago and it really made me, or maybe it was a week ago or so. And I was thinking about this um, and it's the quote was, and I didn't, it didn't come from me and I don't know who it was attributed to, but it said, you are the CEO of your life hire, fire, and promote accordingly. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me because I'll tell you guys this quick story. So when I was at my very first job, like right fresh out of college, I got hired. I, my dad wanted me to go to law school. I didn't go to law school. It was a travesty. Like you would have thought, like I, you know, I like kicked yep. puppies, and, you know, <laughs> flipped off nuns. It was horrible, <laughs> but I, I didn't. And so ended up getting the only job you can get with a political science and sociology degree. I got a job as an administrative assistant for a nonprofit, which my father was horrified. He's like, oh my gosh, you're going to be a secretary your whole life. I was like, daddy, I'm not not a secretary now. People don't even actually have secretaries anymore. But nope, he was was just horrified. So I just remember sitting at that desk, like the the first couple months sitting at that desk and thinking to myself, I am going to own this desk. Nobody's getting through me. I'm going to like, I'm going to build this whole like importance from this desk. I'm going to open the mail. I'm going to do all these things because (laughs) I needed, you know, I wanted to. And frankly, I built my entire career from that little desk. So fast forward, I start in dentistry and I work for NADL and I'm there like, I don't know, maybe a year. It was probably my first midwinter meeting and I meet Jim Glidewell. Mm. And um, actually we meet via email. Cause I reached out to him cause I didn't know any better. And I'm very good at this asking people I don't know to help me. And I asked him for his opinion cause I ended up having to take over the JDT and it wasn't, we weren't doing really well. And 
I just wanted to relaunch it into a real magazine. So I reached out to some people and he sent me, I still have the email that he sent me. And so he sent me this email back to answer my question. And then we ended up meeting face-to-face at midwinter that year. He will not remember this. And it like changed me, of course. So we're walking on the trade show floor and we're talking and I'm asking him these questions. He's being super gracious about it. And I said to him, hey, will you be on our committee? Will you be on the JDT committee? And he's like, sure. So I go back to Bennett later and he's like, you asked Jim Glywell to be on the committee? I said, yeah. He's like, he's not going to be on the committee. I said, no, he said, yes. He said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I was too dumb to know that he might be too busy. So maybe a year or two goes by and he agrees that we are going to host the JDT meeting, the annual meeting, the planning meeting that we have at his lab. And he had just opened the the very, the large lab. And as we're walking through with Dave Brown, who was the CEO of National Dentex at the time. And I mean, all these who's who for these larger laboratories. Barb, I think your dad was there. And Jim's walking around and first of all, he's got crowns in his pockets and he looks right at me. He goes, Hey, you want to see what's in my pocket? And as, as a woman in a male industry, I'm thinking, no, no, not really. I do not. You can edit this part out. Uh, but, but I was like, uh, okay. He has crowns in his pocket. Yes. That they had just started to mill crowns. So this is how long ago it is. Wow. So. But I ask him, I noticed that they've got popcorn makers and all this stuff, but I noticed that all these these technicians like have their head down, they've got their earbuds in or their earphones on, and they're just they're just killing it. And so I everybody's asking all these crazy questions about porcelain and stuff I have no interest in. And I said, Jim, I said, tell me, like they're so not distracted, they're so dedicated, they're they're just like churning it out. And I said, So how, why is that? And he said, my objective is to make every one of our technicians the CEO of their five feet of bench. Wow. I love him. That's awesome. And I it, I never forgot that. And so somebody else started making, to ask another question. I was like, whoa, I'm not done. <laughs> Hold on. And then he told me how he did it. He's like, they pick out their cases. They decide this is the level that they're going to get paid at their education level. If they want a higher level of pay, they had clearly outlined what more education and what level of performance that technician had to be in order to get to the next level of pay. It was very clear expectations and a very clear roadmap. Hmm. And that like changed the way I thought about labs. I was like, okay, all righty. So that was a weird aside, but that was such a good experience for me. That's awesome. And no other than Gladwell. Hello. That's amazing. Well, then nobody else wanted me to come to their lab after that because that was the first <laughs> lab I was ever in. People yeah. were like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty I've been amazing. in a lot of other ones. It was fine. <laughs> well, that's great. I was like, wait a minute. Where's your popcorn maker? <laughs> <laughs> Not every lab has And that. now there's a cafeteria. They have medical, <laughs> they've got anything and everything you could possibly imagine. I was there a couple of years ago and I'm just like, wow, that's what I attained to be. But you know what? His people and his team members and everybody is still so super happy. And they're just like, you can just tell they're still jazzed to work there and they love what they do. And they're just, it's amazing to be that inspiring after all these years. He still just never ceases to amaze me. And I think that you can do this. I know that you can do this regardless of budget. I know that you can do this. It would just be a different scale, but I know that that's achievable in all kinds of size labs. It's it's about the leadership. It's that he was just as passionate and and just as clear about what he expected and willing to put himself out there and do what it took. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I want to check out your talk. Create your success in 2020 and beyond at the DLAT Southwest Conference. That's awesome. So is that on Saturday, Ricky, or Friday? It's on Friday. I'm on Friday. So the keynote goes first, I think at 8. I think the keynote's like 8 to 10, and I think I'm 1030 to noon. Beautiful. Okay. We'll be there. We will be there. I can't I'm wait. I'm so excited for it. Are you staying for the whole show to hang out with all of us great dental lab technicians? <laughs> I will be in on Thursday. Actually, fairly early. I have a fairly early flight in on Thursday, which I know doesn't make any sense, but it's what worked out for the schedule. But I have to leave on Saturday morning pretty early. Yeah. So I will be there Thursday night, all day Friday, Friday cool. night. But I have a very early flight on Saturday morning. Hopefully we can catch up. Mm-hmm. Love to see you. Thursday night's a very cool Top Golf event 
put on by Alien Milling that Barb and I will be recording the podcast at. So Yay. sign up for it. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll I be drinking Fireball, possibly. Maybe. Oh, well, I will not be doing that because I speak on Friday morning. Oh, and I, damn. Yeah. I will be, I would be, if I did that on Thursday night, I would be just as passionate on Friday morning. I would have just as much to share. It just would not be on the same topic and not as articulate. <laughs> yeah, well said. And I would have one of my eyes open <laughs> and it might not be the good eye. <laughs> um. <laughs> All right, I say, I say get her drunk. This sounds fun. <laughs> I could do that Friday night, yeah. Okay, nice. that'll work. As if I would be the first drunk speaker to ever speak at a meeting. Oh, no, oh, never, God. never. never. <laughs> we won't name names, Elvis. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And Barbara and I have already been drunk together, so. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had very glorious times, so hopefully we can see uh-huh. you Friday night after you speak. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Yes. I would love it. Yeah. I mean, we could start at lunch if you want, because I'm done at noon, I'm sure. <laughs> Barb's not done at noon. I need you. I need you upright yes, I know. for some of the day. And I will be. I promise you. I'm the NADL president, and this is my year to behave completely. Okay. So Yeah, sure. All right. Uh-huh. Well, congratulations on that, by Thank the way. You. I think it's a great – I love NADL. I, I love everything the organization stands for. Ten years, ten days I served. Uh, and so yeah. it was, I know it's wonderful. I, I just think it's wonderful that you're – still so involved and have um, have taken on that leadership role. Really enjoy it. I really, really, really do. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you. We'll bring Elvis along just for the token mail. Hang out yeah. with us for a little while. Yeah. But thank you yeah. so much. I really enjoyed this interview. Really, really did. It's awesome. Is there anything else I can answer for you guys? You covered a ton. I thought it was some great stuff. I hope yeah. some people utilize this information and think to themselves, what can I do to help my management within the lab? Because yeah. it's not just saying you're a good tech, now manage these people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But honestly, you guys probably can't name a dozen people that grew up any other way. You know what? We can't. And especially on this podcast, everybody that we interview, again, it's either second generation or somebody that got into the business from an aunt or an uncle or a brother. It's still that way. So I I agree. We can't. It's not going to happen. So think of the beauty of this though. And this is kind of where I love coaching rather than consulting because consultants, I think, come in and say, oh, it doesn't work and you got to get rid of these people. Whatever. I'm making that up. But, But I think in coaching, what I like is to say, So we could either look at it and say, man, we have thousands of examples where this doesn't work. Or, because I'm a half full kind of person, I would say we have thousands, tens of thousands of examples where it does work. Can we just get it to work better? Because it's worked. All, All of you, all of you have been successful with almost no management training. Mm-hmm. Almost no leadership training, and yet you've been successful. So instead of like throwing out the baby with the bathwater, can we turn around and say, all right, so this works, but it's limiting. It works to an extent. Why do we have to like torture the next round of technician and make them a manager and not give them any skills and training? Why yep. can't we just do some basic coaching and play to their strengths, figure out where some of the blind spots would be, be clear with the expectations, give them the support and guidance that they need, and boom. How much better it could be exponentially better, and the laboratory could be exponentially more productive, exponentially have more revenue. That's the glass half full. So, yeah, so I have another question actually. So, do you right. come into laboratories and spend one, two, three days, and then you do off site work? What does that look like when you work with a lab? So, what I do with, and so, like I said, I haven't worked with a lab, but I've worked with other businesses that have multiple tiers, and I've worked with pra- dental practices. So the, usually the way I do a structure, and it depends on what the ultimate goal is, and I, and I customize the structure for that. But traditionally what works is I have some time that I come into the lab, yep, that I travel in. I think it's really important to see the environment. I always start with the leader and clarifying those. So I will spend a full day in the lab or out of the lab. So sometimes the initial um, agreement, I would be maybe there two days. I would spend a day in the lab with the leader and then maybe a day outside of the lab with the leader and I work around their schedule and that's just to clarify the goals and things like that. And then to see what the environment's like. And so we call those, um, I have a client that I used to call them retreats. 
that my client renamed them treats, treat days, because mm-hmm. it's all about working with the person and helping them grow. And that's most of my clients, that's their favorite time. And so I will do that for most of my clients once a quarter where I'm actually coming on site and working with them so I can see what the environment is. I'm checking in with the team. I'm seeing like with each each manager How's it going with you? What's different? Uh, There's also some accountability in there. I'm checking in on their goals, Mm -hmm. uh, the progress that they've made. They're telling me what some of the hiccups are. A lot of the onus is on them to re-strategize, but I'm supporting them and helping them to think through and re-strategize what's going wrong, what's going right. And then in between those on-site times, I use Zoom, just like Skype. I use Zoom. And so Mm -hmm. we do some face-to-face check-ins and it depends on how frequently that needs to be. Most of my clients, it's at least twice a month. Every other week, we'll do a one hour. But some of my clients in the very beginning, if they're really struggling with something, it might be once a week for an hour. But the entire thing is customized. The whole agreement I usually do is customized based on, just like you would with with a treatment plan, it's customized based on the ultimate end goal and then the time and the financial resources that the client has so that I can kind of put it together and meet what they need. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Sounds good. It's all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ricky, we're wrapping up on an hour. We appreciate you Yay. coming on. Yeah. It's awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm really flattered to be part of your your podcast and to be able to just really spend this time and have fun with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Same here. You just made my Friday, sister. Thank all you. right. That's what it's all about. Make yep. carbs yeah. Friday. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Be nice. All right. Well, we appreciate it. We will see you in Texas. Thank you. Amen. I'll see you guys there. All right. In response to several requests, the popular Whitmix Very Model OS 3D print resin is now available in gray. Yay! The methacrylate-based resin was developed for dental models printed on most open systems. You've got the DLP, LCD, and SLA printers with both 385NM and 405NM light sources. Like the other Very Model colors, It is highly accurate, stable, provides high detail resolution, low shrinkage, and long-lasting toughness. This popular gray color gives a visual contrast to the waxes and features and easy-to-clean smooth matte surface finish. So you can use it for your study models and your models with removable dyes and orthodontic models. Other colors that are available, just so you know, Whitmix Very Model Print Resin includes Golden Brown, ivory and popular white if you print orthodontic and presentation models white is great and as always we want to thank you whitmix elvis and i appreciate your support of our podcast a big thanks to ricky i just love hearing your passion and how amazing it is still when you're with panky you're always an advocate for technicians and equality amongst us and CDT certification. I remember when I first met you, it was at an NADL meeting. I think my first meeting in Vegas, and I was always super impressed by you and your demeanor. And I'm just thrilled to see that you're just so awesome and so successful. So were you ever on the board while she was a co-executive director? No, uh uh-uh. that was way before my time. So you were just at the Vision 21 meeting and she was there. Yeah, it was my first one. I went with my dad. Uh, gosh, it was probably maybe 15 years ago, I think. Wow. And um, yeah, I was super impressed. We always had a lot of fun too. Then when I started on the foundation, that's when I really got a chance to hang out with her. And, you know, it's just, um, she's super smart, super intelligent. Love it. Super strong. As the interview proves it, she knows her stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. She's a really great resource for any lab looking at improving their management and leadership. Check out this episode's show notes for a link to her contact information. So we're recording this Saturday, March 14th. Okay. So even with the scare of the coronavirus, the DLAT meeting is still going on as of now. Yeah, I think they um, they did close down the AOLP, which is the Association of Orthodontic Laboratory Professionals. Um, they put on their meeting. So 
Just stay on Facebook, check out all the websites to find out when the new date is for the AOLP. If you're brave enough, head out to Grapevine, Texas. This is the great lineup of speakers and support DLAT. And after that, we don't have any events scheduled for April. But in May, even with the LMT Lab Day canceling, we still have the Florida Dental Lab Association in my home state, Florida, scheduled to go on. So far, so good. We'll keep you updated. Hopefully, everything uh, with this virus will be under control by then. We'll see. But remember, even with the quarantines happening all around the world, podcasts, awesome, are still available All you can do is turn it on and listen to it at home while you're quarantined. Hopefully you're not quarantined, but if you are, we will continue with new episodes every Monday. All right, everybody. That's all we got. We will talk to you next week. Stay healthy and wash your hands. Wash your hands. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Blow my mind, you blow my mind, Ricky.